All right. Well, good morning. If you're in Kidmo, you are released to go to Kidmo. I'm glad that everybody was able to make it this morning. And some, uh, it's always fun to see who ends up being here around the uh, time we walk out of here. The, the lights, we're still figuring out some new lights we've got in here that hopefully will be helpful. Uh, so if you'll just bear with us while we're kind of learning those and getting used to those. Um, we're going to be talking about fear over the next few weeks. And the reason that we're talking about fear is because it is something that for each of us has a tendency to paralyze us. Uh, We have the opportunity in life to do many, many things, but a lot of different people are focused on lots of different fears. And if we were to go around the room and we were to ask, what is your main basic fear, then we probably would all have different fears. You know, we can be afraid of different things, but the truth is, is that Many of us struggle with that, and like the guy in the bubble, we can try to you know, protect ourselves from it. We can try to keep ourselves from being afraid. But in truth, that's one of the tools of the enemy is to keep you operating within a level of fear. You know, it's amazing how much of our media is focused on fear. If you'll notice, so many of the programs that you see on news channels, it's focused on the bad things because fear has a way of selling time. We will tap into this idea of fear, and then we just can't get enough. We've got to see, well, what are all the other things that could be bad that I might be afraid of? And so, you know, there's a lot of those things that that are operated on fear. There's a reason that in election cycles that what candidates will do is try to tap into your fear. And so they talk about all the things that could happen, and it causes us to respond out of fear. And then they will... Talk about another candidate and say how this candidate is going to be bad for you to try to tap into that segment of fear in your life. As we go through and look at movies, Jake and I went and saw Cloverfield this week. Has anybody seen that yet? Uh, For opening night, there were like 10 people there, so I'm not surprised. There weren't many there. And it's one of those thrillers that are supposed to tap into some level of fear. I remember growing up, our horror movies were vastly different than horror movies now. Did anybody grow up watching horror movies? But they were different, weren't they? I mean, the blob would come after you. And there was always this reality that, the one, the blob didn't exist, and two, I know somebody slower than me, the blob is not that fast. So I know I can outrun the blob. But today, most of our horror movies are over supernatural things. They tap into our fear. And the thing is, is they sell incredibly well because there's something about us that even enjoys a time of fear. So fear is huge in our world. And even though there are certainly some fun times and fun things about fear, there are also some really debilitating things about fear. A lot of people struggle with anxiety disorders and they constantly have this overwhelming fear that they can't name and they can't place and they don't know what to do about it. They just know that there's this sense, this overwhelming sense of fear of something bad happening. Some of the most common fears, and I I was doing some looking around and research to figure out, well, what are we most afraid of? And interestingly, these are the top fears of Americans today, number one may surprise you. Before we show it, what would you say is the number one fear for Americans? Terrorists? What? Marriage? Marriage? <laughs> we, where's David? We, and Stephanie, we got to talk about this. Yeah, I'm just kidding. 
Marriage there is, is, is actually, we're going to talk about that. That actually is a real fear for people. What's, what's, what do you think, what are some other top fears that you think? Wait a minute, I can only hear one at a time. I fear I will not be able to hear you all. All right. Being broke? Public speaking? Being disliked? Yeah, those are all great fears. I mean, that sounds like a really bad statement. Those are great fears to have. No, they're not great fears, but they are common fears. The number one fear for Americans is glossophobia. Let's show this next slide. Public speaking. How many of you would like to come up and continue this morning's talk? Okay, some of you can't, but uh, I'm in, I'm coming, I'm up there. (laughs) Public speaking is a great fear for a lot of people. How about the next one? Check out this video. All right. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. As I watch that, I have this, my heart is, is quickening, right? Because I couldn't do that. I can't stand that. And so you can recognize that too. There are just some things. It's like, <gasps> but a tremendous number of Americans have a fear of heights. What about this next one? All right, all right. So snakes, bugs, insects are all a very common fear. Yeah. There you go. That's a good day out with the family right there. Get some snakes and pass them around. Snakes are a very common fear. And we're going to talk about why that is. Did you realize that you are genetically predisposed to be afraid of snakes? So, <laughs> not a real, not, not not real surprising. What about the next one? Aquaphobia, the fear of water or drowning. Amazingly, what we'll also find is that many of the fears that we have are actually learned fears, not fears that you're born with, fears that you learn over time. And when it comes to the fear of drowning and aquaphobia. The general fear of water, the farther you live from a large body of water, the greater your fear is of water or of drowning. We can learn these things. Here's another one in our house that is an often talked about fear. The next one. Needles. Blood. Yeah, yeah. Next one. Claustrophobia, the fear of tight spaces, the fear that you're going to get stuck and you can't get out, the fear that you're going to be smothered, that right there is, could drive a lot of you mad. Next slide, just hang out, we'll hang out with this one for a while. <laughs> All right, next one, the fear of flying. Now, there's only a certain group of people that probably have this fear, that have the ability to get away and fly somewhere, but you can actually have the fear of flying. I mean, there's lots of flying. Those are the top fears of Americans uh, that are out there. But a lot of us have other fears. And, and, you know, those are some recognizable ones. But what about the fear of change? What about the fear of losing a job? 
or not being able to have a job? What about the fear of not being able to retire? Or that by the time you're able to retire, you're so worn out that you can't enjoy retirement. You know, so there's lots and lots of fears that are out there. And as we look through all the fears that we deal with, there are some that you are certainly born with. Now, we're going to... Psychologists tell us that when you are born, you are born with two primary fears. Did you know this? And by the time you reach... One year old, you, do, you begin to develop a third. The two main fears that you're born with is number one, the fear of falling. Do you know that? You, can be, you are born, you literally have within your genetic makeup a fear of falling. And number two is a fear of separation from your parents, specifically from your mother, more so than your dad's. So whenever you're born, you have those two primary fears. That's why when a parent leaves the room, your baby cries. That's why when your baby begins to move and begins to crawl and begins to be a toddler, when you leave the room, they follow after you, at least for a while. They they want to be with you. And by the time that they're one year old, the fear of separation grows to the point where you, how you handle that fear will determine how your child develops moving forward. The fear of separation is something that as parents we can really struggle with. And if you're big fans of the Goldbergs, which we are in our family, our favorite character on the Goldbergs is Beverly. Anybody else watch the Goldbergs? It's our favorite show. I know I've talked about it before. I don't get paid to plug it, but I just love it. So, But we love Beverly because she's that stereotypical helicopter mom who's there in front of everything the kids are doing, wants to be involved with their lives and doesn't want them to hurt or experience any pain whatsoever. See, for her, she continues to try to do what their children are trying to break out of. That is maintain the fear of separation. While how you handle that fear determines whether your child will attempt to live autonomously or independently from you or not. Many times as parents, what we tend to do is we, we enjoy this fear of separation our children have because they tend to cling to us. And we love that feeling. And so we continue that feeling. With Jonathan, he's our youngest. And we would joke about some of the words that he would say. One word that he would say instead of probably would be, I can't even probably is really how he would say it. we can't even say it but he began to get to the point where he would say it correctly like no 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 don't do that say it the way you were it's so cute we love that we have the ability to try to keep our kids based in that fear and yet many children today are afraid to go out and be independent because we've mismanaged their fear of separation there is a need for them to develop past this fear in fact for many children, oh, I missed one for babies, the fear of loud noises, um, and then the growing fear of separation. But for many kids today, have you heard the term boomerang child? A boomerang, do you know what a boomerang child is? It's a child that doesn't quite leave the nest. And there's some point in life that you love that and you welcome that and you want that to be the case. But there's a time when they need to go. Here, go, go back to, go to the, that next um, slide on stats. Keep going. 
53% of 18 to 24-year-olds are living with their parents today. And in fact, 85% of college seniors plan on moving back home after graduation. And it's incredible how many people today struggle with their kids getting out, moving out, and staying out because they have never quite moved past this fear of separation. See, the problem with fear is, is that we don't always know what the fear is, but we can know that it has consequences on the way we live our lives and the effect that it has on other people. One of the crucial steps if we're going to move past our fear is understanding that a lot of these are, are, are learned. You are not born with all of the fears that you have. You are not born with all of the fears that you experience. And many of the things that are driving your behavior today, it may be simply something you've learned along the way because you didn't learn to deal with fear in a healthy way. Now, I don't want to assume that as a good Christian person that you're ever going to get to the point where you're not going to have fears. We're all going to have fears in some way. In fact, fear is something that was built into our makeup because it literally helps us to survive. The fear of snakes, for instance, the fear we often have fear of of needles because we have fear of sharp things. Some of those sharp things are very detrimental to our ability to live. Those are built into us. They tell us we all have at some level a fear of spots, spots being those types of animals that can overtake us and kill us and eat us. There are, wow, is that me? Time's up. up. Somebody's getting lots of notifications today. Let me turn mine off. In case it is me. All right. So some help us. Fear of heights. That helps us. The first step to conquering your fear often, though, is the ability to name it. And here's what I want to share with you to begin with. That almost every single fear that we've mentioned, every single fear that you can have, is rooted in five basic fears that every person on the face of the planet has. Every one of us has five basic fears that every other fear is, is somehow a part of that fear. The first one is extinction or death, the fear of annihilation or ceasing to exist. Whenever we have the fear of extinction, those are the things that cause us to fear looking over the edge of a building. We're afraid of looking over the edge of the building because we're afraid that we'll fall and we'll die. The fear of drowning is the fear of losing your life. The second fear that every one of us has in some form is a fear of mutilation. And that is the fear of losing a body part or a part of your body that is needed or getting sick. And so you're not able to function the way you're supposed to function. The fear of mutilation. That's one of the reasons that we fear animals like spiders and bugs and other weird things. We don't know what they're going to do to us. A third fear that we often feel, and this is what we've talked about so far, is a loss of autonomy. The fear of being immobilized, paralyzed, restricted, enveloped, overwhelmed, and trapped, imprisoned. That's claustrophobia, but it also goes on to our relationships with others and our relationship with our parents. The fear of the loss of autonomy. Fourth, the fear of separation, of being abandoned, of being rejected, losing connectedness. Or I love the way this is worded, becoming a non-person, not wanted, respected, or valued by anyone else. That's why the silent treatment is so devastating. 
That's why in many places, torture begins with pushing people into a room where they are unable to have any physical contact whatsoever. Within every one of us is built in the need for community and the fear that we won't have it. Did you realize that? Those are all basic fears. The fifth basic fear that we have is what's termed as ego death. It's the fear of being humiliated, being shamed, or anything else that causes self-disapproval and then It just causes us to question ourselves. We have great fear. These are the five fears that almost every other fear that you have relates to these. And as we go through the one through five, extinction being the first, being the most profound fear, and ego death being the last. Not all of us reach this ego fear. If you're fearing for your life, what are you thinking about? Think about that moment. The problem with fear is is that fear causes us to be distracted about the things that we need to be focused on. Fear causes us to focus solely on that thing that we are afraid of. And while we can look at funny stories of people who act in fear, it is true that fear is paralyzing. Instead of thinking about how do we work through this or what are the other things that are important in life, we are focused on that one fear. Well, I would never want to be a person that has to climb some of those enormous radio towers. There are things that can motivate me to overcome that fear, right? If a child has decided to go climb a tower. If I'm by myself, I'm focused on my fear of falling. Though if I see my child at the top of the tower, my focus is on them and I climb to the top and don't worry about falling, right? There are ways that you overcome your fear. But the problem is, if we don't recognize the fear and recognize what we need to do to overcome it, we will allow that fear to overcome us. In fact, you've probably heard it said that men and humanity itself are driven by two principal impulses. Love or fear. That's how powerful fear is. You are driven by two primary impulses, love or fear. Now, we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to understand that how you handle fear will determine how you handle your life. As a parent, how you demonstrate to your kids how you handle fear will help them learn how they handle it. And if we attempt to try to keep ourselves away from anything bad that could happen, what we are unintentionally teaching is to be enslaved, to be imprisoned by fear because fear has the power to either propel us or to imprison us. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and really we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1 for the next three weeks. But Today I want to introduce it to you and I want to introduce one primary concept about how do you conquer fear because as we look at this, Over the last six weeks, we've discussed two primary ideas. One is that God is the greatest thing that ever can be. He is real. He is true. And there's nothing greater than God. We have the opportunity to know that God and to be in a relationship with that God. After all, we were created in that God's image. We've also discovered that the Bible, God's word, is trustworthy, something we can believe in. And we've seen all the evidence out there that says this is real. This is the real deal. And while we are so easily able to look at things like Julius Caesar and say we know he's real, the evidence that the Bible is true far supersedes anything else that we believe is true from the ancient world. We know it can be true. 
So as we deal with these incredible issues in our own lives, as we deal with fear, we know we can go to God and he has an answer for this. Now, incredibly, as we look throughout Scripture, what we find any time that a person comes in contact with God or an angel in a supernatural context, what is the first thing that they must say to the people they appear to? Fear not. Because ultimately, you and I are afraid of the things that we can't know or understand. Did you know that, that the uh, reason that we are so drawn to scary movies is because they are the unknown? We are drawn to those. Not to be in the moment of fear, because very few people truly enjoy the moment of fear. But what we lavish is when the movie's over, and we can then feel that we have conquered that fear. It's that relief. It can be an addicting relief to feel like you've just endured something and you've gotten through something. And it's not the movie itself that you cherish. It's the time that you get through it and realize, I have conquered my fear. Now, you may have conquered it through a box of popcorn. But that's why we do that. It's the unknown. When an angel would appear before a person... Their first response was fear because it was the unknown. When God would appear, it was fear as a first response. So as we read through what God tells us about the world, we trust that what he says is true. We trust that he is good, that he loves us, and he has our best interest at heart. We can know that if he built fear into our reality, he did it for a reason. But yet, what I want you to know is God has also built within you as a follower of Jesus the ability to overcome fear. Now, I don't ever see myself overcoming my fear of heights. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I'll just bounce up and down at the top of the edge of a building. I don't think I'll ever do that. But there are fears that can hold us back that we can conquer. We must conquer. And what we're going to find in 1 Timothy is that even those that are held up as true saints had to deal with their own fears. But God gave them the ability to do that. If you've got your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be looking um, at just the first few verses of chapter 1 today. But we're going to begin with verse 1. It says, Paul, who wrote this, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, as we look through for this letter, Timothy is really a wonderful uh, couple of letters that he's written. If you'll remember, Timothy is a very young man, and yet he is very deep in his faith. So Timothy, at one point, is, is getting all kinds of people saying, you know, we shouldn't listen to Timothy. Timothy's nothing. He's so young. He's so immature. He doesn't understand things. And Paul comes to his aid and says, this, this youth can be a strength. Do not let anybody frown upon your youth. The impact he was having on others was incredible, and yet this letter was written specifically to Timothy because what we're going to find out is that Timothy was uncertain whether he wanted this life. What we know about 2 Timothy is it is the last letter that Paul would write before his eventual death and martyrdom. He would be, as historians tell us, though the Bible doesn't explain how it happened, as historians tell us, he was beheaded. This is the last letter he wrote before he did that, talking to Timothy about his fears of following in the footsteps of the other apostles. Now, if you will study through and you'll look at some of the material as far as what happened to each of the apostles, what happened to all but one of the apostles? 
They were martyred. All but one. John is the only one that we see that does not appear to have been martyred. At a ripe old age, writing the book that we now know as Revelation. And yet, isn't it amazing that the primary proponents of continuing the faith in that early history, the example by which they had were men who were killed for their faith, and yet it continued to grow and build. No doubt, within Timothy's mind was also this possibility that if I follow in his footsteps, this could be what happens to me as well. So Paul is talking through his own knowledge and fear of his own death coming as he writes this. Verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 1. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He's talking about his faith. He's talking about what he has learned. He's talking about the impact others have had on him. Guard what you have. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As we look at Timothy's life, what we have learned is that Timothy had a strong testimony in the power of the gospel at a very young age. Now, it's amazing within our current context that you and I live, age is typically looked down upon, not elevated, Right? The need to look and feel younger, to act younger, is so out there that plastic surgeons have incredible practices now because they can help you look younger than you really are. Often we dress younger than we really are. We act younger than we really are because our culture values youth rather than wisdom. One of the problems of why our nation is where it is when we so focus on those which have not yet lived a full life determining what life should look like versus those that have wisdom and experience sharing that with those who were younger, which is how God anticipated life would be. So that is the world in which we live to and to the point where many of us fear growing older and we all go through our own Midlife crisis, when we get to that point in some way or the other, we change our hair, we change what car we drive, we change the way we dress, or we try to work in language that we hear our kids saying that just doesn't work when we say it, let's be honest. And so we fear growing older, we do everything we can to stay younger. Timothy, even in his young age, was experiencing the very opposite God had done something great in his life. And this is one of the things that as you get older, while God designed life to be the kind that those with more experience and wisdom would pass it down to the younger ages, it does not mean that a person who is young cannot have an incredible insight into the world or into the way God works. It's incredible what God can do in the life of someone who has submitted their heart to him no matter how old they are. And that is where Timothy was. You can read through what 
Paul is saying how much he loves him and values him and the impact that he's had, not only that he has had, that he believes he will have. Like some of you, Timothy had an incredible set of parents and grandparents such that they were known as great pillars of the faith, Lois and Eunice. And when you have that kind of a parent, one of the fears that many people deal with is that I will never, ever reach the place where my parents have reached. I will never be as good as them. I will never be as wise as them. I will never be as successful as them. I will never be accepted by them. It's incredible the number of people who are trying desperately to be accepted by their parents rather than overcoming that fear and being the person God created them to be. And what Paul is saying here is that that is likely one of the things that Timothy's dealing with. You have this incredible, this incredible mother and grandmother, incredible lineage. What I know from watching other pastors, what I know from my own life, and one of the things we hope for our own children is that when you watch behind the scenes what happens to a person who has given their life to ministry, it often is not motivating for you yourself to go into ministry. You see the costs that are there. You see the heartaches that's there. You see the things that you invest in, the things that you try to make happen that don't happen. You see the people that turn away or walk away and you decide, I'm not sure that this is for me. Likely exactly why Paul brings up Lois and Eunice. Timothy has seen what a life following Jesus looks like, not just following him, but being a person who is propagating that gospel around the world. He has seen that and he is responding in fear. So Paul writes this knowing that here is a young man who has the ability to have an incredible impact on the world around him. And yet he is considering opting out because of his fear. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were so certain that God was telling you that he wanted you to do something, but you had to say no because it made you face a fear? I go into ministry, I won't be able to afford to live. Did you know that the fear of starvation is very real in us? Psychologists tell us one of the reasons that we overeat is because within each of us, that need to overcome extinction involves eating. And so if you go for a period of time, it's one of the reasons that if you have, you're not eating at certain intervals, you gorge yourself. It was the innate fear of starvation and the reality is that we probably don't even we don't recognize it as that but that's the way many of our fears work we don't recognize the impact they're really having on us but it's there there's a lot of other reasons that people choose to walk away from jesus it's the fear of rejection it's the fear that you won't have friends it's the fear that you're going to live your life and you're going to be persecuted there are many fears we deal with In school, we often choose the wrong types of friends because ultimately what we most fear in middle and high school is that we won't have friends, and so we gravitate towards anybody that will have us because it assuages our fear of being alone. And sometimes we don't choose those friends well, and it gets us into all kinds of trouble we shouldn't be in. Some of us have those stories, right? Because those friends are better than no friends. So we all have fears that motivate us, fears that push us, fears that drive us in ways that we may not even recognize. 
I want you to know that God has given you everything you need to overcome any fear that you have in your life. As we read through verse 7 again, it says God, and the different versions say different things. It says God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This power is what I want to talk with you this morning about. Now, if you're a Greek scholar, you're going to recognize that power can be used in different Greek words and they can mean different things. One of the difficulties in understanding the New Testament as it is written in Greek is that Greek is a much more technical language than English is. We have lots of shortcut words. We'll have one word that means a whole bunch of different things and inflection, intonation, and context can change what a word means. But yet in the Greek language, it was so technical and complex that for each different idea, there was often a different word. And so if you really want to begin studying what is being said in the New Testament, when we solely go along on an English translation, we are going to miss some of the nuances that are there. If you want to really start getting technical and you start looking at Hebrew in the Old Testament, what you're going to find is even the punctuation marks can drastically change the way something reads. Or when you see something that's repeated more than once, you find that this is not just saying this concept. It's saying this is a vital concept. It's incredible when you begin to understand that. But this word power is literally the Greek word dunamis. Now, if you study the Greek word dunamis, you're going to find that it's used in different places. But it is not the kind of power like I summon within me this ability to overcome something. The problem with that definition of power is that many of us don't believe we have anything within us that we are able to overcome it. Through failure or disappointment or discouragement or being in a relationship with people who don't encourage you. If you have a negative opinion of yourself... You do not believe you can overcome it, so why should I even try? Right? Why should I even try? I mean, I'm going to lose every time. Many of us have dealt with those fears in different ways, and we've just accepted them as this is the way life's going to be because I have no other way of getting out of this. The word dunamis is the exact same word that is used to describe the power by which Jesus himself was raised from the dead. It is not some innate power that you can have with the right upbringing or the right study or or the right amount of confidence in your life. It's not that kind of power. It literally dunamis is the miraculous power, might, or strength in which God has given you his power to accomplish it. What he's saying, what Paul is saying here is this kind of power that God has given you so that you don't live in a spirit of fear is the kind of power by which God has performed every miracle on the face of the planet. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, when Jesus was raised from the dead, that power is God's innate ability given to you to overcome. Paul is saying you have that. If you were a follower of Jesus, you have that in your life. You may not know how to tap into that, but you have that. And when I say tap into, I don't mean like, you know, you have some innate super ability and once you say the right formula in your head, you just, whoa, I'm super Mark. You know, that's not the kind of power I'm talking about. But God has given you, if you were a follower of Jesus, this power. 
You can overcome the fear that you have, not because of something you've done on your own, but because God has chosen to give that to you. Now, as we've said in, in times before here at Journey, there are many people who are religious but yet don't know Jesus. This is one of the true travesties in the world today, and this is why we have to be so careful about those who claim to be Christians and what they share about the gospel, because to share something other than what is true about the gospel leads other people away from that truth. See, the biggest danger and the biggest heretic in the world is not the one who stands up and says, Jesus isn't real. He's the one who stands up and says, Jesus is real, and then they just alter it a little. Just enough. That, oh, well, we believe the same things, I guess, so they then have that impact and power on us. We give them influence without truly just looking at their lives and saying, do they, do they really line up with what Scripture says? That's why it's crucial when we represent ourselves as Christians that we re- represent the gospel correctly. It's crucial. You can be a religious person who attends church, who does lots of religious things, but you can, that does not mean you will have this dunamis power that is promised to those who are truly following him. Now that in and of itself within the church world creates within us some certain amount of fear. And honestly, churches have capitalized on that fear many times before. And they will talk about your need, what you have to do to prove that you love God. And you've got to prove that you're really a follower of Jesus. And one of the ways that we have tried to do that in the church and we've controlled people with it was early on in the Catholic church was the need for you to pay for your sins, literally, with money to the priests. So through those dark ages at the time of Martin Luther, he watched this practice where if you sin, a church would ask you for a financial donation for God to forgive you, and yet that goes against everything the gospel says. It's the very reason that Martin Luther started the Reformation that he did, even though when asked at the time, do you want to leave the Catholic Church, he said no. But the stake was high. Whenever we talk about things like it's different from being religious and being a Christ follower, it can within us, if we're not grounded in our faith, it can create fear in us, right? Am I good enough? Deidre and I, we know our experience growing up with different revivalists that would come to our churches because we grew up in the church there would always be something about well you if you're not sure then you need to come down and get saved Deidre talks about a story where a particular pastor someone i knew and really liked said if you're 99 percent sure you're 100 percent lost and that creates in someone who's weak in their faith this fear this anxiety well maybe i'm not What I don't want to do is to pass that on to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should know that you're a follower of Jesus. And it all begins with humility and repentance. But often a person who has become humble and repentant lacks confidence, and that is not what God intended. What God intended was for you to experience His power in your life to overcome the fears that you will face. God has given you His power to His followers to overcome their fears. 2 Timothy 1, again, back to verse 8. 
It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We have the ability to not only not be ashamed of this testimony, but to be able to share it with others. What would it look like today if you were able to take your fears and you were able to remove them? What would you do differently? What would you do as a family? How would you deal with your children differently? How would you teach your children For many of us, one of the ways we can best parent our children is to deal with our own fears because by doing that, we teach them how to deal with theirs and we find that as kids are growing, fear seems to be increasing. That is not what God intends for his followers. What would it look like with your career if you weren't driven by fear? What would you attempt Or try. How many people around us would know Christ because we weren't afraid to share him with them? And the reason we don't share Christ is not because we don't believe in its goodness and what God can do for someone. But we're afraid that ultimately that person will reject us. Which is exactly what the enemy tries to do with your fear. See, fear is one of the enemy's primary tools to keep you from sharing the good news in a broken world. If he can have you focused on your fear of rejection, then you will keep from sharing the gospel to someone else. If he can get you to focus on your fear that you're not good enough, then he will keep you from influencing and impacting the world around you. That's what the enemy wants. That's why the enemy deals in fear. That's why our culture is dominated in fear. Because it distracts us. It imprisons us. It keeps us from fulfilling what Christ has commanded us, which is to go out and share this with others. Now, if you are a person who struggles with fear, especially if you're a person who struggles with anxiety, I want you to know that that does not make you less than anyone else. Because as we look through Scripture, everyone who followed Christ struggled with fear. If you'll remember when Jesus, even after he rose from the dead and he appeared to the apostles and they were able to look at him and put their hands in his wounds, eventually Jesus would go to heaven and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day I will bring you to that place. But he did leave and there was a period of time from when Jesus ascended to heaven to the time that they received the Holy Spirit that great fear seized the apostles, because people were after them to kill them. We read about that in Acts chapter 2, and they were all huddled together in an upper room, scared that people would find out where they were or what they had done. And this is what we read had happened. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
in that moment of fear, God showed up and he imparted with them his power to which they left that room and the gospel spread throughout the world. They faced their fear. Our psychologists tell us that our greatest fear is the fear of dying, and yet when you know Christ, that no longer becomes your greatest fear. Because we understand that dying is simply that time in which we leave this broken place to be with Him forever in heaven in a perfect place. I still don't want to die falling off of a tall building. But if I am to die, I get to be with Jesus. Extinction is not my greatest fear any longer. I would prefer to die in my sleep (laughs) at a ripe old age, but that may or may not be how it happens. But regardless, we don't have to fear that. Paul himself says that I would rather die and go to be with Jesus than to stay here to be with you. However, to be here with you is where God wants me to be, and so that is where I should be. But it would be better if I could just die and leave this place. See, the only way to see life that way is to see it through supernatural eyes guided by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can see it that way. But yet he did that. Some of us look at Paul and we think, well, when he wrote all this, what was he really afraid of? And while Paul didn't know the day he was going to die, Paul knew he was going to die. If we read later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, towards the end of the letter, this is what he writes, and he wrote this in earlier letters as well. But the time was coming, and he knew it. As he wrote this, calling Timothy, someone he loved, into the ministry that he also loved, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Paul was all but saying, I am about to, I'm at the end of my life, I'm about to die. They're going to come and take my life, but I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready for it. I'm ready to accept it. And what comes after that is so much better than what I've ever had before that I can't wait to experience it. I want to remind you, 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7, and we're going to be talking about different aspects of these verses over the next couple of weeks, but I want to remind you, verse 6, for this reason I remind you, listen to this, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What does it look like for you today to fan the flame of the gift of God that he has given you? Maybe it's to go back to some things we've talked about previously. Maybe it's to talk about uh, Scripture and I need to spend more time knowing what God has said. Is that what it looks like to fan the flame? Maybe it's to remember the promises that God has given you, promises to all believers, but maybe God has given you some specific promises as well to go back and remember the promises that God has given you. I'm never going to walk into a snake pit on my own accord. Never going to do it. I'm never going to go, hey, hey, come on, let's go. This is cool. It's fun. I'm never going to do it. I don't care if they're poisonous or not. I don't care if they're cute and they're little and they don't have any teeth. That I don't want them crawling on me. I don't want any of that kind of stuff. Don't want it, don't want it, don't want it. 
But what would it look like if the fears that keep breaking our relationships were no longer controlling us? What if the fears that keep, keep us from going after the things that we really want to go after, what if they no longer controlled us? What if the fear of what you're doing in life no longer controls you? Because one of the things that we have to trust God in, and one of the reasons that we fear, is that we can't control our environment or our surroundings, what's happening in our life. I want to be able to control something. I want to be able to control my life. I want to know what my life's going to look like from my first breath to my last. I want to ensure that it's exactly what I want it to be. But God never wanted you to have that kind of control. And so operating out of the fear that you won't have that control is ignoring the fact that God wants you to trust him instead. See, many times our fears cause us to realize the very things we did not ever want to experience. We fear being alone, therefore we try to control the people we are with, which drives them away, which causes us to be alone. We fear not having somebody to love, so we will love the person that will allow us to love them, even though they abuse us. But we're afraid that we won't have somebody else to love without them. So we hold so tightly onto them that we ruin their relationship. We're so afraid that our life won't look like what we want it to look like. That we hold so tightly to a plan that we never allow God to allow us to work outside that plan. And we never accomplish that which we wanted. Fear has so many insidious ways that it controls us. In parenting, our need for our kids to stay safe causes us to hold so tightly to them and keep them from anything that could harm them that when the day comes that they aren't under our care, they don't know how to deal with a dangerous world. And they're affected by it. You see, the fears that we have can drive us into ways that cause us to fulfill the thing we were very afraid of. And there are times that we have to let go of those fears, and I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. But I want you to know, as a follower of Jesus, you have his power to make that happen. We begin to understand fear in this way. We begin to understand why President Roosevelt said this most famous quote, that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Because that fear drives us to places we don't want to go. Ultimately, what I want to leave you with today, and I hope you'll come back next week as we continue this, is that your trust in God has given you everything you need to use His power to overcome any fear. Will we trust in God? Or will we trust in ourselves to navigate the things of this world? You have His power to overcome any fear. For some of you today, the first step of dealing with whatever specific or unspecific fear in your life is to recognize what it is to name it many times the very first step is just to begin to understand why it is you fear this thing and maybe you grew up with a family that overly sheltered you and now you're afraid of everything 
And you need to recognize this because you did not have the opportunity to learn to deal with fear, which means now as an adult, you have to face your fears. You have to learn that now. And if you have children, do not continue that on with your children. But you need to understand where that comes from. If you have smothered every relationship you've ever had, you need to understand that there's a reason that you have done that. You have operated out of a level of fear and you need to name it and you need to deal with it. You have the power of God in order to do that. You have everything you need to overcome these fears. For some of you, the step is simply to take a true step in trusting in God. We come to church, we sing songs, we talk about God, but do I trust Him? We will never follow His Word if we don't trust Him. One of the reasons we don't read His Word is because we don't want to have to trust Him. So maybe your step is simply to trust God. That could be, and truly, for the first time, saying, God, I submit myself to you and I will follow your lead. Or maybe you've done that, but you have walked away. You've gotten overcome by your fear, and it's time to say, God, whatever you want, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust in your promises. What Paul knew is that trusting God to overcome fear did not mean a life without pain. He knew a life without being controlled by it, though. So whatever step it is that you need to take, I pray that you'll take it today. Would you pray with me? Father. God, I thank you that you have not only loved us and given us your son so that we can have a relationship with you, I thank you that you have empowered us to overcome everything in this world. It's so easy to think about how wonderful heaven will be, but yet we're still here in this broken place trying to make our way through, and I pray that you would help us to do just that. Pray for those in this room and have so many anxieties over just things they can't even name. I pray that you would give clarity, give them a name for their fears. And ultimately for all of us who deal with fear in one way or the other, God, I pray that you will help us to trust you, that we will be able to utilize the power in which you've given us. Father, you have called us conquerors. Help us to conquer the fears that stand in our way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.